Hey guys, before we get today's episode started, I just wanted to let you know that I just started doing a live podcast over on the Recovery Revolution Facebook page. It's Monday night starting at 7 p.m. Central Time. Hope to see you there. You're listening to Recovery Survey, the podcast that shatters stigmas around different types of addictions and takes a deep dive into spiritual principles. I very firmly believe the true addiction started the day that I shot myself up. Because it was really easy to say I'm not an addict when I wasn't the one doing it. But the minute I did it myself, I owned my addiction. My guest today is named Kimberly Plasia. She is a fellow podcaster, a survivor of domestic abuse, and a recovering addict. Welcome to the show, Kimberly. My name is Kimberly Plasia. I am the owner of This Fat Girl Life. I am a life coach, as well as run three different podcasts. I have This Fat Girl Life, which focuses on knowing your worth and loving yourself in the body that you're in. I am also the host of The Rope of Hope, which is designed to inspire others and help people know that they're not alone in their struggles, that there is light at the end of the tunnel. And I am the host of Big Beautiful Badasses, which is all about celebrating the plus size community in all of its fluffy glory. Awesome. Well, I'd love to to jump right into the conversation. I know um, you've overcome addiction. You've had some some other traumas in your in your past. So I'd love to to jump right in and kind of uh, kind of hear some of your story. Thank you. Well, uh, like you said, yeah, I did have some definite traumas. Um, kind of started when I was about seven years old. Uh, for over the period of a year, I was sexually abused at the hands of my stepfather. Uh, because of that, it it really messed with me. It taught me that love was supposed to hurt me, that that's all I should expect out of it is pain. And even though I had good examples of what love was through my mother, through my aunt, through my sisters, what I went through with my stepfather is what stuck with me. So when I went into adulthood, I went into my first marriage and my first husband was looking for a green card. I thought I was in love. Children were never supposed to happen. I was very blessed. I got pregnant and carried to term and had a beautiful daughter. While I was pregnant, though, that's when he really got abusive. And I ended up being thrown against the wall more than once. Got out of that marriage after my daughter was born and went into my second marriage. Um, My second husband was more abusive, controlling, mentally, verbally, physically abusive, very narcissistic. That is where my addiction actually began. One of the times that he had laid his hands on me and was physically abusive, I ended up injuring my shoulder. His solution was the lauded. I remember very vividly him crushing that pill and putting it into a needle. And I kept telling him, no, I I didn't want to go that route. And finally, the pain was just so bad, I couldn't see straight, literally. 
And I remember him injecting me. He injected it right into my arm. And I remember not feeling any pain. I was horribly sick. But there was no pain. Next day, I went to the ER. They gave me the lotting. So in my messed up brain, that clicked that that's what I was supposed to have was the, the blotted. And that was the start of a seven-year addiction or eight-year addiction, excuse me. And at the beginning, my second husband always handled, you know, handled things. I didn't do it on my own. I very firmly believe that the true addiction started the day that I shot myself up because it was really easy to say I'm not an addict when I wasn't the one doing it. But the minute I did it myself, I owned my addiction. It started with the lotted. I, al I always shot it up. I never tried to do it any other way. But then it got to a point where one milligram every eight hours wasn't enough. And like any addict, I started chasing the addiction. From there, it went to the point where we would run out and I couldn't handle the, being sick. I couldn't handle the withdrawals. So I started supplementing through the withdrawals with meth. And again, I just, I tried to smoke it. It didn't do what I needed it to do. So I went shooting up. And that, that kind of became the pattern. Delotted for a couple of weeks, then meth for a week, then delotted for a couple of weeks, then meth for a week. And that, that was my life for a really long time. On July 25th, of 2014, my second husband passed away from end-stage liver failure. July 27th, I tried to take my own life. Because I was out of everything, I was going through withdrawals. I had a massive anxiety attack when it hit me that he had died. And it put me in the ER. I thought I was having a heart attack. They sent me home with a prescription of Percocet and Ativan. I went home and I took all of it. My intent was to die that day. And instead, I just went to a really heavy nap. My mom was the one that found me, woke me up, got me to the ER. I stayed in the ER for almost eight hours with them trying to control my blood pressure. From there, I went to behavioral health for a week and a half, going through a medical detox because they said my system was so jacked up, I would not survive detoxing on my own. And from there, I went into rehab for eight and a half months. Um, last month, I celebrated seven years clean. That's absolutely incredible. And, and I read a statistic somewhere that says that uh, only 2% of meth users ever get clean and stay clean. So I applaud you for, for being part of that 2%. I, I too am, am part of that 2% of the, 
meth users that have gotten clean and I'm, I'm a few months behind you, but it's a huge accomplishment and, and I know it's, it's a difficult journey. So I, I, I do, I, I do applaud you for that. Cause that it, it, it's a lot of, it's very difficult. And I think people on the outside that haven't experienced those things that we've gone through, the withdrawals and the, the sickness and, and the different things when we're trying to get clean, don't understand how difficult it can be. Thank you. Um, I'll, I'll be honest for me, go, you know, going through my recovery, I've never had a secondary craving for meth. Meth was just a band aid for me. The lauded was the hardest thing. And what makes it extremely hard for me now, I injured my lower back and pinched a nerve ended up causing permanent nerve damage through my right leg and into my right foot, which I mean, there's nothing they can do for it from a medical standpoint. And so they have me on prescribed pain medication. And that is hard because to you know, that was my go-to. That was my, oh, that was the drug of choice for me. And so now to be on a pain medication, I have really fought, you know, trying to make sure I don't take it. I will do hemp gummies. I will do anything over the counter to avoid taking prescription pain medication to the point of having myself in tears in pain. And my husband looking at me and saying, Kim, just take, take the damn pill. Because I'm so afraid of going back to that place. I can totally, totally relate to what you're, what you're sharing and, and not wanting to go back. And, you know, I, I, I can't say that I haven't ever had those thoughts of, of wanting to get high again, but I can definitely relate to the struggle and some of the, some of those same things that you've been through. Um, kind of changing the subject a little bit. I'd love to hear more about, the rope of hope podcast and, and what your message is and, and, um, what, what kind of guests you have on. It sounds like we kind of have similar shows. So I'd love to hear more about the podcast and, you know, maybe, maybe help you pick up a few listeners and maybe have a few from your show come over here. I would love that. Um, so the rope of hope started simply because of an interview that I watched with Robin Roberts. She was talking about how important hope is. And I really kind of started thinking about how this past year and a half has been total shit. I mean, we've all suffered. Mm. And for some, the struggle was a lot harder than others. And so I just kind of started thinking, you know, what better thing to hold on to than hope? And so I started thinking, you know, what, what can I do? How can I help give others hope? And so I really started, you know, taking a hard look at, you know, my circle. Because as a podcaster, you know, that's where it starts, is with your little circle. And I was like, okay, well, I know people that have struggled with, you know, losing pregnancies, you know, stillbirth, with cancer, with, you know, drug addiction, with all these different things. We're not the only ones that have these struggles. Mm -hmm. So I started talking to 
some of my friends saying, you know, would, would you be willing to share your story? You know, I know it's not something you talk about a whole lot, but would you come on my podcast and share? And people really embraced the idea. And so, you know, my first week I had like this blowout guest-a-thon, so to speak. I think I did 12 episodes my first week because I do it all as I live stream. When I do any of my podcasts, it starts as a live stream. And so I spent a whole lot of time at my computer that first week. But I had, you know, guests come on and talk about living life with cerebral palsy, um, with miscarriage, with stillborn birth. I had somebody come on who dealt with alcoholism. And people got really vulnerable and were willing to open up and share not only what they went through during that time, but how they kind of pushed through, you know, when they saw that light at the end of the tunnel and what that was like for them. And every episode I end with the same question. It's the only planned thing I do in an episode, but I always ask the same question. I ask every guest, what is the most inspiring thing that's ever been told to them? And some of the things that I've heard have just been amazing. I actually have some of them written right here because I was going to be working on some stuff later. <laughs> if I could find my little piece of paper. You know, I've had guests talk about how, um, oh God, what was it? In a world where you can be anything, be kind. And that was a quote from a very good friend of mine. Another one that really stuck with me is the greatest gift you can give another human being is to be able to communicate in a way that they get you. You know, and just knowing that I can give somebody just that little glimmer of hope, you know, where they know there is going to be a light at the end of the tunnel has been huge. I actually just finished my 30th episode last week. Um, and this just launched in May. So it's it's been just embraced so much by so many people. And so many people have wanted to be a part of this. And that's probably what has stuck with me the most. Is that people want to be a part of this. And so even tomorrow, I'm recording three episodes of it in one day. One about somebody's struggle with alcohol. Um, I'm doing one about um, somebody who has lived life with fibromyalgia. And another one that is about an eating disorder. Problems so many people struggle with. And it's real easy for one person to share their story. But not everybody's going to relate to that one person. And so I try to bring multiple people on to share different struggles that may be very similar, but the, some, someone's going to relate to it and they're going to be able to say, I'm not alone. I'm not on this island alone by myself. And if they could do it, then I can do it. I love that. That's, that's, that's beautiful. That's, that's kind of the whole 
purpose behind my show too is is showing that you know if somebody else can do it that you can too and that being that encouragement and you know i think there's something really powerful about hearing someone share their story and i think for both the person that's telling the story and for the audience as well i think for for the individual that's sharing their story sometimes it can be kind of like a weight lifted off their shoulders and then for for the audience that's listening like you were talking about being that inspiration or or finding you know hearing somebody else's story that has similarities and and maybe something clicks in your head and you go maybe if they can do it maybe i can too um, I was listening to your episode that came out a few weeks ago. Um, I can't remember the guy's name, but he was the, the doctor and he was part of Chernobyl. And, and I, and the one thing that really st- stuck out to me from that episode was that in question that you were talking about, where you ask the, ask the individual, like, what is the one quote that like stuck with you? I, I love that. And I feel like I need to come up with something like that for my show. I don't want to steal your idea, but I, I love that Please idea. Please steal away. I'm giving <laughs> it to you. I am giving it to you. I do it with all of my podcasts, actually. And it's a different question for each different type of podcast. But it's something that I felt was a really good ending note. You know, just that last little bit of inspiration for this one, you know, to as a positive note to end on. Because so many episodes are very heavy for a little bit. And I have, if you ever watch any of the videos, there are plenty of times that I have ugly cried. Or I'll get off the episode and I'm just bawling my eyes out for a moment. But just knowing that I can end on that little bit of positivity and that's what is going to stick with somebody. That's the last thing they hear. That was important to me. Well, to kind of steal one of your questions. So what was the moment for you that was kind of that turning point where you had that realization? Was it in rehab or what was that, that change in your life? Which realization? (laughs) Uh, There, there were a couple of them. I mean, the realization that I needed help or the realization that I was worth something, the realization that I needed help was looking at my mom's face when she found me when she woke me up from being asleep and seeing the tears in my mother's eyes that's when I knew I was either going to get help or I was going to die one or one of the two and I didn't want to hurt my mom like that so that's when I agreed to go and get help and the realization of what I, you know, of my worth did come in rehab. Um, I, I was in rehab with some amazing women. It was a faith-based program here in Colorado, out on the Western Slope. Um, and it's one of few in the country that allow women and women with children. So if you had a child under the age of five, you could take them to the program with you. And you could keep that bond with your kids. But I remember being in there and I was in the common room with two other ladies there. And we were just kind of, you know, talking like we always did. And one of them just kind of started ragging on themselves. And I stopped them like, you know what, you are so amazing. You, What are you saying? They're like, well, how are you going to say that about me? But you won't say it about yourself. And that's kind of when it clicked. 
that I was worth something and I did deserve to be loved. And that's when I started kind of changing my thought process about it. And like, I remember sitting in my room making a list of everything that I wanted out of people in my life, be it friends, acquaintances, coworkers, a spouse. You know, I just, I made so many lists. I think I left with like 30 different lists of like requirements to be near me and be in my life. And I was very intentional about it. But that's when it really clicked on me that I can't tell somebody else that they're worth it if I don't believe it about myself. Kind of reminds me, I had a guest on a few weeks ago and she said, I can't remember the exact quote, but she was talking about that we can't really stop harming ourselves. We can't, we can't get to that place of like wanting to stop using drugs or whatever, whatever it is that we're using to like mask our feelings until we learn to love ourselves, until we see our own worth. We aren't at that place where we're willing to to stop that destructive behavior in our lives. And I think that's kind of the same thing that you're saying there. And I think that that's a, that's a great point to make. And it can be a difficult, a difficult journey for us to get to that place where we learn to love ourselves. I 100% agree. Um, one of the things that I have come to realize through my own healing with all this, though, as much as we say we do, until we learn to love ourselves, we're not fully capable of loving somebody else. And loving yourself does not mean that you like yourself all the time. You can love somebody immensely. I'm, I'll use myself as a example. I love my husband dearly. There are moments I don't like the man. I love my children. I have a grown daughter and a grown stepdaughter. I love them both. I would lay down my life for them in a heartbeat. I would go to jail for that. But I do not like the things they do all the time. But there's, there's a very big difference between liking and loving. And that's, that's where, you know, just because we don't like ourselves doesn't mean we're not worthy of loving ourselves. And especially in the throes of addiction, we forget that because it becomes instantaneous. We want instant gratification. The drugs or the alcohol or that substance gives us that instant gratification, but it wears off. It's conditional. And so we start thinking everything else in life is the same way, that it's very conditional. And... Loving yourself is not conditional. And we forget that. I love that. Well, as we're kind of getting towards the end of our time, I'd love to, uh, to steal your question and ask you, what is the, what's something that somebody told you that that's been something that changed your life, that changed your perspective on, on yourself or your surroundings or something along those lines. So it's like that one inspirational thing that was said to you. There's a quote by Eleanor Roosevelt that I love. No one can make you feel inferior without your consent. I love that. That's, that's beautiful. And when did, when did you first hear this quote or what, what, what did it mean to you when you first heard it? Was it 
Like, what was that? What was that experience like for you? So the first time I heard it, it didn't click. First time I heard it um, was when my daughter was much younger. And it's actually quoted in the movie, The Princess Diaries. And it really didn't click with me then. But then when I was in rehab, I actually read it in a book. And I had one of those aha moments of, wow, you know, I, I am completely responsible for how I let somebody make me feel. You know, what people are saying about me is none of my business. Let them talk. The minute I internalize it, though, and I let what they're saying make me feel bad, I'm the one responsible for that. And that really resonated with me of ultimately, I am the one that gets to make that choice of whether or not someone's actions or words are going to control how I feel. Well, and kind of, kind of closing, I, I appreciate you reading that quote and, and, and telling us about, you know, just kind of that realization that you had in rehab. And, and I, I really do appreciate you coming on today and, and sharing and being open and vulnerable. Again, if you wouldn't mind, if you, if you could share with the listeners, your podcast, your different social media accounts, where they can find you. The only, the only podcast, I'm not going to lie to you. The only podcast of yours that I've listened to is, is, is the rope of hope. But from the the couple episodes that I've listened to, it it was excellent, and I think that the listeners would definitely get something from that podcast for sure. So if you wouldn't mind, uh, in closing, just letting us know where we can find you at. I definitely can. So all of my podcasts stream live to Facebook and to YouTube. So on Facebook, you can find me at This Fat Girl Life Podcast, at The Rope of Hope Podcast or at Big Beautiful Badasses. As far as my social media links, I'm going to make it easy. Just go to beacons, B-E-A-C-O-N-S dot com forward slash Kim dot Plesia. That's P as in Paul, L-E, Z as in Zebra, I-A. That has every social media link from TikTok to Instagram. You name it, it is on there. And you can find everything I do on there. Awesome. Well, Kimberly, thank you so much for coming on today. I really, really do appreciate it. Of course. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Kimberly, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. I had a great time talking with you. And guys, I would really encourage you to check out her other podcasts. The links for that will be in the show notes. You've been listening to Recovery Survey. If you got anything out of today's episode, I'd ask you to please leave us a five-star review and share this episode with a friend. If you'd like to get in contact with us, you can find us at recoverysurvey.com. You can listen to all of our episodes on the website as well as connect with us on social media where you can get previews for upcoming episodes. 